This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 71 of Horsemanship Radio, brought to you by Index Fund Advisors, IFA.com. Horsemanship Radio is a part of the family of the Horse Radio Network. And today, we have two guests that are just amazing, Mitch Bornstein, and you'll all recall the earlier episode we did with his Mustang, uh, Samson, and he is the author of Last Chance Mustang. We also have Al Dunning, who is an icon in the Western reigning field. This will be fun. This is Debbie Lauks, and you're listening to the Horsemanship Radio. Thank you for joining us. Horsemanship Radio airs on the 1st and the 15th of the month, and I have my producer, Coach Jen, with me today. Hi, Jen. Greetings, Debbie. Nice to hear from you again. Good to hear from you, too. How's your summer going? My summer is going really well. Here we are in uh, September, so it's nearly over. Yep, almost. Almost over. Labor Day. Yay, Labor Day. Now, is um what how's that work? You don't wear white after like, how's that thing go? Yeah, how does how does that work if you have like chrome on your horse? Uh oh, four whites. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> what are they gonna do? They gonna do? That's hey. funny. Hey, maybe you maybe you can answer me this question. Yeah. Nigel, my new horse. Yes, we're still getting in the getting to know each other phase. I love it. And he is currently wearing his summer coat, obviously. Okay. But he's starting to shed a little bit and get his get getting ready for his winter coat on certain sections of his body, like behind his elbows and on his chest mm-hmm. and right where the top near his mane, where his mane grows out. There's mm-hmm. no hair. And it's not because he rubbed it out. Mm-hmm. There's just no hair. Have you ever had a horse like that? Yeah, sometimes uh, it can be so many things, Jen. I, you know, um, we use this little uh, tub of uh, African bee believe it or not. Oh, it's, it's sorry, not African. It's Amazon B uh, propolis and it grows things back. But, you know, cause it could be a little, um, this is very much a vet question, Jen, but it could well, be, a, it, it looks a perfectly little... natural. It, it's not patches. It's yeah, just, it, it could when be he shed it out his winter coat, nothing grew back. Nothing grew back. It's bald. And he doesn't have flies on, on those spots no, or anything it, bothering him. Yeah, and if you look really carefully, you can almost see like baby fuzz. Mm-hmm. It's not the kind of bald you associate with hair being pulled out. It's the kind of bald you associate with there. There's just not meant to be hair there, just That's like his muzzle. Some people have receding hairlines. Some people have receding elbows. Is I there such know. a thing as like chestnut pattern baldness? It's crazy. I don't know. Chestnut pattern baldness. Could be. We might have to start something. We'll have to you know, put that well, up. Well, maybe you've had a horse that's like that. Well, we've had them where they have sun allergies, you know, where they'll lose hair in patches like mm-hmm. that from sun mm-hmm. allergies. It took us forever to figure that one out, you know, because you, yeah, you're thinking yeah. everything else but the sun. Really? So? And, yeah. And we've had, um, you know, little mites and it's got, you know, because could be a skin condition. It could be um, some sort of environmental allergy too. You know, often, most often you think it's going to be a rubbed piece of equipment. Like, right. you know, if it's behind the ears, it's a halter, cinch, mm-hmm. you know. Sure. But if it's, but you're a horse person, you know, you know, if it'd be, something would be rubbing on that yeah. or not. It's, so I have never seen anything like this before where it's just like really you don't grow Nigel's a scientific phenomenon he is <laughs> send photos <laughs> there we go he's a phenomenon I'm not right. sure on that I, I you know I love 
I love anomalies, though. I think it is fun, and we usually learn something with anomalies if, if we can figure it out. But mm-hmm. at least, you know, you put it in your your bank, right? right? You know, your brain and think, well, I'm going to hold that over and see if I can figure that, all that out. And it yeah. is it is kind of fun, These this horse species, different right. than It'll us. It'll be interesting species. as he grows his coat in for the winter, what mm-hmm. happens to those sections that currently just have mm-hmm. no hair? Because when I got him, the hair on his chest looked perfectly normal. Yeah, but he was wearing yeah. a winter coat, so maybe that's just him in the winter, in the summertime, being a, it, a native Floridian. He's going. I'm going to have as little hair as possible. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Was he? You got him from a, a Florida owner. He's lived then. his whole life in Florida. He's lived his whole life within about 50 miles of here. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Pretty yeah. interesting. We have we have some uh, rescues on the farm. You know, these are the ones we bring in for the uh, gentling wild horses mm-hmm. course and for yep. the intro courses. And we just got finished up with the money special training. And, um, and you know, every one of them has some little quirky thing. And I love how they sort of tell you their story without words, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what are the, some, what are the, some of the cool things that you learned about some of the horses that came in for the, cause that's oh, such my. a cool thing for these horses to be able to do because hello, yeah. these horses, they need a second chance. They need a friend this yeah. so much. Yeah. And, and that's what makes them so such good professors. You know, they teach us where we're going wrong and where we're going right in introducing ourselves and how we approach them as human beings. But once they figure out we might be a little different than their experience that they had with an earlier mm-hmm. human being. They just like, oh, thank God, you know, somebody is not going to do something they shouldn't be doing with me. And uh, I, the stories are in, I, you know, it's here's a fun way to describe it. The intro um, course just started. Jamie Jennings from from horse, Horses yeah, in the that Morning. That girl but, from Horses in the Morning. <laughs> that girl from Horses in the Morning. She's taking the course. And a couple of my friends are taking the course. And so it's a lot of fun. And they all were talking about the the introductions they made in the classroom. I know this is, sounds funny in comparison to what we were just talking about, but you'll get it. Um, and they said, okay, I want to go around the room and everybody introduce themselves, but you can't say anything. So we have to know something about you, but you can't say anything, you know? And <laughs> it's a cool little icebreaker, right? Um, but, you know, it, it gets you thinking about body language. It certainly loosens up the group, and it's kind of mm-hmm. fun. But, I mean, that's horses, isn't it? I mean, they can't tell us what they, you know, have been through or what they what mm-hmm. they learned about humans <laughs> right. earlier than that experience. And they are in the moment. They're on that day. So the way they react is completely honest. And so this is why, uh, you know, Dad Monty is always saying, if your horse is doing something that is um, fear-making or happy-making or anything, look at yourself in the mirror. You're causing that, you know, whatever it is, good or bad. And it's true because they can only react to us. So it, it it's been fun. We've had um, we've had horses right off the mountain. We've had one that was meant to be a a bucker, a professional bucker, and this guy raises him up on the mountain. His name oh, is Ralph. Okay, uh, he's supposed to be a professional rodeo bucking horse. Okay. That's it. Yeah, you those are out of that. Well, he, I don't. This one that we had this time is not flunked yet. What he wants is he wants a really calm bucker in the chute. He wants a nine year old to be able to lead that bucker off the arena when the when he's bucked off his you now, know victim now let's let's just back up here a minute this uh-huh. is a guy who who runs he he provides stock to a rodeo and he is taking the time to take horses that buck for a living mm-hmm. and create a create a horse that's going cool i buck for a living humans are not bad 
exactly. But wow, you know what? That's, he for does me, that's it. stellar. That's amazing. Uh, it is the best goal on earth for, for the rodeos. I mean, this is what rodeos really need. They need to look themselves in the mirror sure. and say, don't we want calm, happy horses? But remember, they do this before they become professional buckers. Mm-hmm. This is how life starts. And if they're going to buck, you know, they, they don't put any pain on that horse to buck it. It's a flank strap. Kind of like, you know, did you see California Chrome run in Dubai? Did you <gasps> see that his girth slipped I, back? I got to say, you know, I think that might have made him run faster. <laughs> Maybe this is a new thing. But, you know, if he was inclined to buck, man, I think that horse it, going right into his flank with that girth, yeah. just buck, he would have bucked. And so some horses buck and, and are especially sensitive in those flank areas and some are not. So uh, Ralph raises them big, you know, they've got some big bones in them, Percheron maybe or something. He's they got some pretty he good size. Nice and sturdy, yeah. Yep. Nice and sturdy and and good size for all the the boys and and girls <laughs> for riding. Well yeah, the, you don't we wouldn't want something small and frail because you want something uh, that's big and athletic enough that he can take a two hundred pound cowboy and chuck him off. And chuck him off. That's the whole goal. And the better they chuck, the more valuable they are. And they are treated like kings and queens, these horses. So um so anyways, but wouldn't it be great if he just walked into this chute calmly, was not upset about anything, knew what his job was, feels that flank strap on, open the door, away we go, and then stops at eight seconds. Wow, that was a lot of work. Okay, eight seconds is done. Now, nine-year-old, walk me out. I'm calm. I got goosebumps. Yeah, it's cool. I got, that is so cool. I want to hear more about how that turns out. Is this yeah. going to be the first time they go through this no, process? No, they've been doing this for a couple of years now. I need and to hear more. He, Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, and this is what this is what rodeo needs, and and they and they're getting it. You know, the the stock, the value of these horses and the bulls is so high. I know a lot of people want to pick on rodeos, and and maybe at the lower levels where there's not oversight, they deserve it. But at the highest levels, um, those those animals are worth everything. In fact, I feel sorry for the cowboys, frankly. <laughs> they <laughs> they hobble off, you know, yeah. broken and 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 beat up, and uh, they get to the next rodeo the next weekend, you know, and the bull probably gets the week off, you know. <laughs> Well, a lot of what happens in the horse industry as a whole starts at the top and works its way down, right? Exactly. So the fact that they are going to this level to create a horse that is good as his job and he's happy and healthy in his job, Mm -hmm. I mean, that's just going to do, that's going to be nothing but good for for rodeos as they go down to the smaller regional and then local levels. That, yeah, it'll trickle down because yeah. they're, they're going to be more valuable. They'll last longer. They're happier doing their job. You know, a good bucking horse can last 18, 20 years if they're athletic and healthy enough. So, you know, um, and, and it's, it's a light job compared to what a lot of horses put up with. Absolutely. So, so, so it, yeah, wow. it, it's the way to go. And that's, we're happy to do that. We create that that symbiotic environment where we have um, a gentling shoot with, and we put a couple of horses in there so they feel, um, and then they have beautiful girls, these interns and, and instructors from all over the world. You know, right now in this last class, we had two from Sweden and we had um, our German instructor, beautiful Denise. And, uh, you know, they they love their horses and these horses know it. Um, they've, they've got it made. Like dad said, it's good work if you can get it. <laughs> So you had one horse that was on his way to become a professional bucking horse someday. What, yes. Who else did you have in your string well, for your? You have interviewed a, a gentleman, uh, Gabriel, who uh, yes. brought a horse named Random last year to mm-hmm. the Gently Wild Horses that uh, Jamie was in, and he brought another horse. Um, we we just nicknamed him Gabriel, <laughs> <laughs> and um, he brought a horse that had had issues. Um, would not. Uh, lift his feet for the farrier, you know, he'd had some 
some bad ex- samples of mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. around in his life. We also had Phoenix, who was also just really skittish. One of the students actually brought Phoenix. And uh, again, both of those were Bay thoroughbreds. So I had to kind of think about each one. Gabriel and Phoenix. Gabriel, is this yeah. Bay? Oh, he does. Because they, <laughs> yeah. they were both pretty stressed out when they came. And they were just puppies when, they, when the week was up. So we had five days of that. We had a halflinger that Jamie brought um, from one of her students and uh, dad affectionately oh, yes. called the, what the bulldozer. Call? The bulldozer <laughs> pony. Yes. <laughs> really cute. Re- adorable little pony who knew it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But he had been, you know, he'd been getting his way for a while. Yeah. So um, he had a nine-year-old owner. So you can imagine with that, those are like big horses with short legs, you know. They're those they are, and, and sturdy. Ha- halflingers are famous for their take charge attitudes. Yes, they, exactly. They are going to take charge if you keep, if they feel like you, you shouldn't. Them. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. absolutely. But, you know, but smart too and came yeah, around. Sure. Mounting block lesson was awesome, awesome. And, uh, and, and just happy to stop eventually. Had to do some exercises to learn to stop at the fence. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, let's see, we also had, well, we brought in some horses for join up. So we had uh, everybody doing join up. So we had Willing Partners Horse Quiet Horses for their first join ups. Oh, were, our- were any of them the one I rode? Oh, which one did I who ride? Did you ride? Probably. Uh, my guess is yes. I don't remember. <laughs> who, you would have ridden Chasen or Baron. I think actually Glenn was on Baron. Glenn so- rode the gray. That's Baron. That's yes, Baron. yes. Who and I thank I thank you very much. I really, 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 really wanted to take home. Oh, oh my he, gosh, that horse is gorgeous. No, he's, he is such a good guy. And we oh. I got to ride him on the track this last week, so we went on the track. It's just a it's just such a fun now, experience is, is for horses and people. Completely off topic. Is Baron still looking for a forever home? He is he's still willing partner's horse. Yes. He is looking for okay, a forever. Everybody home. out there who's shopping for a horse, <laughs> go so look sweet. at Baron because he A is cool to ride because if Glenn can ride him anybody can because Glenn doesn't know how to ride and Glenn could make that horse do lateral work hello Glenn yeah. sat on a horse twice in his life but he is drop dead gorgeous gorgeous okay. he's um, so pretty you have to go on our Facebook page and see some shots of yes. of uh there was uh, a lady from all the way over from Hungary to take the course and uh she was on I think she was on Chasen and and uh, I was upon Baron and uh, beautiful, beautiful photos. And and uh, every, everybody got to ride. We have a, uh, one gal that's um, kind of been, it, it, like a lot of us, she's 50-something. She's been around horses her whole life, but not a lot, you know, not mm-hmm. really formally trained. Mm-hmm. And she had the best time. She stayed for the join-up and long-lining class. Oh, so cool. Fun. It's just really fun. So that's what we've been doing for our summer vacation, Jen. <laughs> wow, that's cool. Well, that. So many second chances and first chances for horses and for horse people with the the courses that you guys have got going on. So why don't we have a listen to our title sponsor, IFA.com, and then we will have a chat with Mitch Bornstein. Fantastic. Hi, I'm Mark Hebner, president of Index Fund Advisors and proud owner of Monty Roberts' Willing Partners graduate, He's a Sugar Bear. (laughs) You know, investment portfolios are a lot like horses. You need to find one that best suits you, your temperament, and your stage of life. Some people might like an energetic horse and an aggressive investment portfolio, while others are more comfortable with a gentle ride and a more conservative investment portfolio. The trick is to find the one that's right for you. That's what Index Fund Advisors is all about, matching people with portfolios risk-appropriate, low-cost, and globally diversified investment portfolios. You can find the right portfolio for you 
by taking the risk capacity survey at ifa.com. That's IFA as an index fund advisors. Or you can call us toll free at 888-643-3133. That's 888-643-3133. College, law school, and 19 years as a practicing attorney have not stood in the way as Mitchell has followed up his passion and one true calling to save the horses that no one else will. Horse trainer, clinician, CEO, head trainer at the Art of Horsemanship, Inc., and author of Last Chance Mustang, the story of one horse, one horseman, and one final shot, Mitch Bornstein. He's rehabilitated hundreds of mistreated or unmanageable horses, including racehorses, neglected horses, unbreakable or abused horses. For Mitch, there's no such thing as a bad horse or a steed beyond repair. Mitch lives and works in Wheeling, Illinois. Well, welcome, Mitch Bornstein. Thank you for agreeing to come on back. Thank you for having us. We're thrilled to be doing our second interview here. I know. I know. I really am. I've, I've been wanting to catch up with you. I've been following you a little bit in the social medias and and um, wanted to know how every, everybody was doing. How You know, I saw that there was a little bit of a health scare and I was a little worried about your Mustang. So is everything okay now? Yeah, Samson is doing great. He, you know, I think as he gets older, the winters get a little rougher on him, and he's uh, approximately 20 years old right now. So I think even uh, we had a mild winter here in the Chicago area. It took a little bit out of him and got him a little thin, but the spring has been very good for him. And um, I think everyone has noticed it because there's been pictures up on social media and stuff. Mm -hmm. And everyone seems to be commenting, oh, my goodness, he looks so great. He looks, you know, 10 years younger. So yeah. He re- rebounded very well, for sure. That's great. That's so great. I mean, I think it's an oxymoron in you saying it's a mild winter in Illinois. I, you know, we're in Southern <laughs> California. I can't even imagine what a mild yeah. winter in Illinois is like for Mustangs. And I, and I know that, you know, a Mustang that is adopted or the Mustangs that have gone through living in the wild and or just had a, a rough upbringing, which people will have to go back to episode 54 of Horsemanship Radio and listen to the introduction we did, Samson and you and your your story, because the book and your story, and as it continues to be, is amazing. And it's one of those things that we all kind of think, wouldn't it be cool if, and, um, you know, you just, you're pulling for Samson through the whole book, or you're pulling for Mitch through the whole book, you know, and, um, the, the thing with Mustangs that we know is that they have compromised immune systems. And I do worry about them getting through winters and those, their, you know, their intestinal tract, it can be compromised due to uh, early worms, you know. I mean, when they're wild, they're wild and there's not a lot you can do about them. So you're going to have to keep us up on his health reports for us. Yeah, absolutely. Happily. I think that the the big surprise in the last year since the book came out is just that this this Mustang who was so hated for so many years by so many people for through no fault of his own has developed this huge following who really stay in touch and stay, stay on top of things and want updates. So it, it's a, a very pleasant surprise in the last year to see all this develop and unfold. That's great. Well, you're so deserving of it, both 
both of you, <laughs> because you you managed it, it to happen, and and probably above all odds. I, I saw that Elle magazine uh, had you June two thousand fifteen, so it was about a year ago. The Reader's Prize recipient, Last Chance Mustang book, and um, you've just had some great things happening in this last year. And so I thought, you know, at this point, you probably are so educated on Mustangs, and you probably know more than you want to know at this point of all the different things that Mustangs make the news for. But uh, you know, I wanted to ask you first about, I'm curious about what you think of these Mustang makeovers in general, because there's a lot of competitions going out there that have Mustangs in the name. Yeah, I think that, you know, it's it's a kind of a double-edged sword. I think that they, they do an excellent job of promoting the Mustang and really showcasing the amazing attributes. And these, these horses are so athletic and so giving and so willing to, to work and, and achieve and perform. On the other hand, too, these these have kind of blown up all over the country, and people enter them in, in many different you know levels of of their own ability and everything like that. And you worry to some extent about the fact that maybe some horses are getting rushed along, or some people are working mm-hmm. with horses that don't have the skill. But I think that you balance that off with the, you know the benefit of the fact that you know you have these programs, and there's you know incentive programs as well for the trainers, and they're giving people and and you know, advocates the opportunity to showcase the abilities of the horse, but as if, you know, as in any other, you know, performance type areas or any of the other shows, you do have instances where, you know, you worry about what goes on behind the scenes or how horses are handled. And I think you have that in any type of competition or venue, but I think that these, you know, activities and these, um, you know, specific events that they have do showcase on the positive end, um, the ability of these horses to really, in a very short time, you know, suck up and absorb so much and learn and perform. So um, it, it's definitely, a you know, cast the Mustang horse in a positive light, even if there are some negatives associated with it. There you go. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I mean, people do worry that they're going to get pushed along a little too quickly. And the funny thing is, uh, isn't that a funny criticism, really? Um, if If the horse is partnering with you, then it seems hard or even difficult to imagine that you are actually pushing them. Because if they're partnering with you, it's like a kid who's just having a great time with you. He's just reading his first book because that's what he wants to do. But I think what you're addressing is if you're rushing a horse that is is just being flooded with too much information, and he's just not able to take it in. Is that a good distinction to make? Yeah, and I think I think it really, and we've been asked this question a lot lately. I think the the issue where it comes down to is it's not even so much the horses and it's the person per se. So if if you're someone who reads the horse properly and moves along, there you go, and wants to showcase the animal and not see as much of the competition, then you're going to work with the animal and do it in the right time frame. There will always be individuals out there, whether it's these events or at events that have to do with quarter horses or dressage or anything, there are always going to be people in the horse world or any competitive sport that will rush and, and cut corners and want the attention and want the limelight. But, you know, you have to take a step back and say that you hope that that's in the minority and not in the majority and that most of the people, you know, are doing it because they want to showcase, you know, their ability to train, mm-hmm. the horse's ability to learn Mm-hmm. and to really exhibit, you know, the great attributes of the Mustang horse, which is really the whole purpose of these events right. and to help exactly. them get adopted. Exactly. Yeah, both. That's that's good for horses and good for people too. Um, showcase their abilities and also to showcase that they should be 
um, included in a lot of other, are you seeing an increased presence of Mustangs in, in the performing sports? I think that, you know, the last couple of years, we've seen really good horse, you know, horses out there and performing in the headlines. We saw, uh, Alyssa Wallace, who took a Mustang to a three day event. Mm-hmm. Um, that was, you know, tremendous. It got huge press and people really were like, wow, look at that. You know, who knew? Yeah. We also yeah. saw last year, we saw a 2015 Western dressage world champion was a, not only a Mustang, but a three strikes Mustang, which is really yeah. um, shocking as far as people who know the know, because you're dealing with a horse that went through multiple failed adoptions, was not adopted out, became a three strikes Mustang, which basically says it's authorized for sale because no one out there wants it. Right. The horse gets picked up as a three strikes Mustang and goes on to win what was the Western Dressage World Championship and the Reserve World Championship. Mm-hmm. So, I think that, you know, turned people's heads. They didn't mind because these are amazing animals, but I think a lot of people in the horse world have taken notice both because of the events in, in the eventing realm with Alyssa and also with the Western Dressage Championship. So mm-hmm. all the more power to the Mustang. You know, that's that's it. And, and the people and the people that are working with him too. And uh, yeah, we just newsflash. Uh, Jen just told us that Elisa Wallace was named to the uh, alternate for the Olympics, which is just unbelievable. That is a, Wonderful. I think that's crashing through some walls. That is amazing. I think that's great. And, and she's really, you know, been a great advocate in the performance end of sport to say, you know, don't count out these Mustangs, you know, they can do what, what other horses are doing. So that's wonderful news. I'm sure she's thrilled to hear that. Oh, I hope so. And I, I hope everybody who loves Mustangs is, is thrilled to hear it, too, because it really is that is advocating for Mustangs altogether. So, you know, some people might be going, well, you know, what's the big deal? A Mustang is just another breed of horse. So what are some of the unique challenges that you've run up against in training adopted Mustangs, you know, in the in the traditional sense? Sure. I think that um, whether it's a Mustang or a thoroughbred or quarter horse, I think that, you know, they all have some attributes in common. And you tailor as you know your training technique to the horse. I do think, though, with the wild horses, you get into a very different area with respect that, you know, these days when when a foal drops from a dam within one to two minutes, they're imprinted, right? That's pretty standard these days. Mm-hmm. And that certainly dictates and controls the behaviors of a horse through its life. The wild horses, they don't know from that. They drop, and the first thing they see is chaos. They probably see, you know, a couple of bachelor stallions in the, in the distance fighting, they see some pushing and shoving and stuff like this. They are raised in a world where it's survival and it's fighting and it's more survival and it's more fighting. And I think that when you train these horses, you have to take into account, they don't know from socialization with people. They don't know from, from being handled. What they do know is how to communicate. And unfortunately their communication for some people, they learn this hard the way is through biting and kicking. Mm-hmm and charging and rearing and all those things that you maybe see a little of, but you don't see a whole lot of. So, you know, this weekend I made a couple stops with a couple, you know, fairly large domestic herds. And what did I see? I saw some body bashing from the horses. I saw some pendiers. I saw some fame kicks, some fame bites. I didn't see anything that even rose to the level of real violence. Mm-hmm. Now you contrast that with the fact that I just was out in Colorado and visited one of the wild herds. And what did I see? I saw real kicks, real bites, you know, horses going down and this wasn't, you know, one or two, this was just constant. It's a constant, mm. you know, battle and struggle and horses asserting themselves and horses getting moved off. That is how Mustangs communicate. That is their world. So mm. when you jump into a pen, a round pen, 
a pasture with one of these horses, you have to start from the beginning of not only do they not know our communication, let's say, you know, communication with the domestics, but they have an entirely different form of communication, Mm -hmm. which usually, you know, includes invading your space and getting up on you and giving you a bite or kick or something like that. So you have to really be tuned into that and sort of reset you know, what the quote communication is going to be between handler and horse. Mm-hmm. And that's a process. That's a major process for a horse that doesn't know from people and doesn't know for being touched and handled. And for people who don't know your background, we should just touch on that a little bit. Um, you took Samson uh, because nobody else would. He, you were literally his last chance um, to rescue him from a horrible situation in a stall, uh, you know manure up to here and the whole thing. But uh, tell us a little bit about your background and your ability to uh, to work with the Mustangs because of that. Sure. I, you know, Samson came to me really basically because the couple of decades work I've been doing with difficult horses, horses that have behavior problems, have been abused, mistreated. And he was one such example. He had all of the attributes of an abused horse, plus he was a wild horse. So, you know, he eventually over time was beaten and beaten and beaten, and he still had those communication skills of biting and kicking. So in his head, it was, well, I'm going to defend myself the way I was taught to as a youngster. So for me to step in the situation, it really took, you know, two decades of experience working with difficult horses to handle the most difficult horse, which is a horse that really, contrary to what their nature is, you know, they're fairly sociable, even in their bad days, they're fairly sociable. This was a horse who became really sort of a bloodthirsty animal of, I'm going to take anyone out before they even approach me and try and hurt me. So he became sort of an aggressor. Mm-hmm. So for me, it was really a couple of decades work of dealing with horses that had all these, you know, attributes of, well, you know, people would call me and say, this horse is kicking the fair, or this horse is biting, this horse bucks when you get on it. Samson had all of that. You know, yeah. he, wouldn't, he wouldn't buck <laughs> once or twice, he would buck 30 times. You know, he wouldn't kick you once or twice, he would kick you 10 times. So yeah. Fortunately for me, I met Samson at the right time in a career where I had all that behind me, you know, and could and could right. rely on it rather than all that ahead of me where I probably would have ended up done and finished, you know, in the first Yeah. Day. Yeah. Well, either that or it killed. <laughs> it sounded pretty <laughs> like a pretty dangerous situation, but you read it well. Yeah. And I think reading it. Uh, reading the situation is probably that nuance that um, some people say, well, some people never have it. And some people um, in, are pretty intuitive to it, but you still, I mean, I still think you need the muscle memory. I don't think it just, I don't think you're born with it. Uh, unlike some people say, you know, oh, Indians have it, the American Indians, or, you know, there's this guru status. And, uh, you know, I think some more people are learning to be intuitive, they bring their breathing down, bring their adrenalines down and, and work around a horse better. But I don't think you, um, I don't think you're necessarily born with it, but I'll add a caveat and you see if you agree with me, children can be around horses and they don't seem to be as concerned, um, as adults. What do you think about that? I agree hundred percent. And it's interesting. I've always said that children and animals are very intuitive to pick up on, um, you know, the subtle cues of communication, both between other animals or between humans and animals. I think that's absolutely true. I think that children kind of are clean slate and they don't come to the table with, you know, a dirty plate per se. And they're open-minded and they're perceptive and they don't have, let's say, a life full of, you know, experiences and things you've seen and, and things you've been told. Yeah. And I think that's why you really want to do start young in any sport, especially with yeah. horses, 
and they don't come, you know, with these preconceived ideas and everything like that. So I think that everyone can learn, and certainly as as you folks and Monty as as taught, is that everyone can learn to be a better horse person, and everyone can learn to read and be perceptive. Now there may be varying degrees of of you know levels of who can pull that off at a better level than other, but I believe that everyone can be taught to be more perceptive and more intuitive. And certainly there's some who have the gift and then there are those who learn it. But ultimately, no matter what level you get to, it's better than no level at all. Mm. And that's really the starting point is to be able to communicate with your horse. You don't have to be, you know, Mr. or Mrs. Professional Horse Trainer, but you can certainly know or see the warning signs when your horse is angry or when your horse is content or when the horse is trying to tell you something you may not be sure what it is, but it's anytime you think your animal is communicating with you, there's got to be a reason for it. So that's a start. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good. And, you know, it's so fun to hear you say things like that because 20 years ago, you just really didn't hear it a whole heck of a lot. And and certainly a lot of the really experienced trainers didn't like to, to share some of their um, teachings that way, too. Have you ever seen the IFA gentling pen that dad uses at Flag is a Farms? Have I ever shown you any? video of that or anything? Yeah, you know, I have. And, and it's, it's interesting because it, to me, it, it really puts everything on a level that everyone, you know, can work with and do it safely. And that means that the, the horse is put in a safe situation where it's in a space that feels, it feels, you know, better than it would. And the person, you know, is outside on the, on the outside of the pen and it's also safe. And, and mm-hmm. you know, the funny thing is once you have an animal or a person feeling afraid or feeding off the fear of another, we all know with horses, you're in big trouble. Yeah. And that is what to me always starts the problem. It's yeah. not lack of training. It's not lack of experience. It is always the fear factor. Mm-hmm. And whether it's both or it's one, you know, and horses are amazing at detected, it, detecting it, it causes a problem. Yeah. So, you know, I really like that setup. What I find interesting is you know, Monty's use of the gentling pen is very, very similar to when we started with Samson. Mm-hmm. We didn't have a pen and we didn't have a chute, but we had a pasture. But what was interesting is that Samson would go up on a ramp that was in the pasture that led up to the barn where they would take equipment up into the second story of the barn. And on the first day, I noticed that whenever he would run around, he would go up on the ramp because mm-hmm. he was above. He was at a higher level. He felt he could see things. And for some reason, his ability to see far out made him more receptive to me close in. Oh, he figured, you know, I can see threats coming. Yeah. And it's the same, same concept because when I started trying to handle him and halter him and touch him, I would always let him move up on the ramp. Mm-hmm. And when I would talk to people, they would originally say, why would you let him go up there? That's a safe place. You don't, you know, you don't want him feeling like all smug and everything. I'm like, no, I want him up there. Yeah. I want him feeling safe and content and secure. And it's a very similar concept to what, you know, Monty has done with the pen. And that is get the horse in a safe, comfortable spot, keep the person safe, and then start trying to, you know, slowly impose your lesson on the animal, what you want it to do and learn and everything and start up from a safe place. So yeah, I Fabulous. think it's, it's a yeah. very good method for everyone to not only stay safe, but like I said, fear is so dangerous when working with you know, a large horse that can really get you in trouble. I think that takes a lot of the fear element out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fear, size, and speed kills basically because right. we, we, yeah, right. we, we can't be big enough or fast enough uh, to get out of our own way sometimes, but yeah, thank you. That's profound. Um, one of the things that I love watching in the 
the IFA Gent Link Ping that we have there is when the we usually work with two Mustangs at a time, just at least at first, because then they feel more stable with another horse in there. And when they come out of the shoot area, everybody's adrenaline is supposed to go up. We ask people to breathe and bring your adrenaline up. And then when they go back in there, everybody brings their, they avert their eyes, they bring their adrenaline down and let that be the safe place. You're actually, you know, funny horses aren't den animals. They don't go in small spaces usually, you know, to feel comfortable. You've, you've actually flipped their, uh, their perception of that place to a safe place by just by raising and lowering your adrenaline, which is pretty interesting. So you're right. That fear factor feeds that. Absolutely. And I think that that's a huge impediment removed from the equation because you're dealing with an animal, you know, let's say a four-year-old, a six-year-old wild horse. This is all so foreign to them. And you're giving to them, you know, you're telling them this is your safe place. You know, you're saying to them, take it as your own, adopt it as your own. You're not going to get hurt. We're all good in here. And that is, you know, to me, really, you need, you need to communicate with the horse. I think that when we talk about 20 years ago about techniques and methods, the problem was it was all shoved down the horse's throat, like right. it or not. And the more the horse objected, the more it was likely to get a leg tied up yep. or get itself tied to a stake in the ground or something like that. That's and right. fortunately, we have, you know, progressed from that world. And we now see that, you know, you need to sort of work on a level where everyone feels somewhat ease and everyone is sort of in a partnership. And there is really, in my opinion, there is no other way to train the animal. Yay. I'm so glad to hear that, Mitch. That's why we love you here. Um, it's really fun to hear the affirmations, you know, from people that are working with horses for years now, that that is actually what works for people. And I'm sure that it, no matter if somebody just loves to see the Mustangs on the mountaintops or if they love to see them integrating and, and becoming a part of American horsemanship, they loved what you just said. So I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, well, I loved having you back, and I hope you will come back again and tell us uh, soon how Samson's doing and and how the progress of American, uh, one of the iconics, the American breed of Mustang here in the United States. Absolutely. We would love to come back, and we, we enjoy each of our experiences here on Horsemanship Radio. Thank you. Thanks, Mitch. Mitch Bornstein, Last Hands Mustang. We all hear about omega-3 and how important it is for your horse's nutrition, but why? Well, simply put, horses were created to get all of their nutrition from live, natural grasses. Omega-3 is an essential fat found in many types of live grasses, and it's critical to the horse's health. If they were living on live grasses 24-7, they would be receiving enough omega-3. But in today's world, most horses are fed commercial feed and forage as their primary nutrition, and most of these are lacking in omega-3. That's where Omega Fields comes in. All of Omega Fields' flax-based products provide a balanced, essential profile of Omega-369 and may be helpful in alleviating problems related to skin, coat, hoof, joint, and sand colic. One of Omega Fields' terrific products is Omega Horse Shine. Omega Horse Shine is an Omega-3 stabilized ground flaxseed supplement for horses to help maintain a shiny, healthy coat, strong, solid hooves, and top performance for horses in all life stages. Omega Fields provides the best human-grade, non-GMO ground flax that can help horses with dry, scaly, itchy skin, joint pain and inflammation, poor hoof growth, allergies, and more. 
Don't just listen to Debbie and I. Alexandra, a customer of Omega Field, says any horse I ever own, I will feed them Omega Horse Shine, and I will recommend it to anyone. You can get your Omega Horse Shine today at OmegaFields.com, or just for our listeners, get 15% off using the coupon code MONTY2015. All one word, it's MONTY2015 for 15% off your next order at OmegaFields.com. That's OmegaFields.com. Al Dunning of Scottsdale, Arizona is one of the most respected horsemen in the industry. Al and his students together have won 45 World and Reserve World Championships. He's held numerous national leadership positions. He's earned multiple honors, including introduction into the Arizona Quarter Horse Hall of Fame. And his 40-plus years of experience as a professional trainer has led him to produce books, DVDs, clinics, of course, and Team AD online mentoring program and ADTV on Better Horses Network. Al's ability to reach people comes from his love of horses and out of respect to the mentors in his own life. Al Dunning was awarded the Western Equitarian Award at the banquet held at Flagstaff Farms for trainers in the Western riding discipline who choose to train horses in the absence of violence or pain. Well, welcome, Al Dunning. I'm so excited to have you on Horsemanship Radio. How are you? I'm fantastic, Debbie. How are you today? I'm good. I'm good. I'm so excited because I'm sitting in the room right now with Monty Roberts, and he bestowed upon you a Western Equitarian Award, I think. So I've been dying to get you two on a conversation together for a long time. You just, you two don't stay in one place very long. Well, that was a big honor for me, and uh, and to come over to your ranch and see um, flags up and and everybody there. I just had a great time with that. And it's one of the great honors I've had in my career. Wow. And that's a great career. I'm so I'm so honored that you you came and you did that event. And that has been something that's a it's a short list of some terrific horsemen that um, dad and mom and a small committee have chosen to honor those that have decided to take violence out of the training of horses. And gosh darn it, they don't just make better horses out of it, too. Isn't that right? <laughs> well, you know, everybody knows that, you know, a lot of people, they if they happen to make a um, horse out of fear, you know, it doesn't last very long. And if you're going to make an iconic, great horse, um, you know, you got to do it through a, a, a special way and a special bond. That's right, Al. Thank you. And you've produced some of those and some of your students have produced some of those as well. I mean, we we mentioned um, in this lead up that you and your students together have won 45 world and reserve world championships. My goodness. That's pretty good. You know, and, you know, I didn't count a few of them because, you know, they were individual shows or something like that. But I tried to be real honest about it. Um and I, I've just had a great career. I don't think numbers really count. It's, um, it's you know, how many lives you touch. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Well, Monty, Dad, I'd like to bring you in on this conversation. When did you first meet Al Dunning? Do you remember? Oh, gosh. I, I met Al Dunning 20-odd uh, years ago. Uh, but he probably doesn't remember meeting me at the time. And um, <laughs> I, I certainly do. Are you kidding Okay. Well, Al's a youngster, you know, and um, I was retiring from competition in 66 and Al was rolling and going in 66, believe me. Uh, And it, um, 
actually, I got to know Al more from his videos and uh, lessons that he gave other people that were on video than I did actually meeting him in person. But uh, he, here's a man that every every single time I've seen him, I thought that's that's a new little thing or that's a, a wrinkle that I I should remember, um, and that's unusual uh, for me. There's some other people that. Sometimes you, you think, you know, they didn't win so much, but they contributed some little thing to it. Al, he encompasses those things whereby he, he won and he was innovative at the same time. That's an unusual person. And I'm, uh, I like to think that I have won more world championships and my students, when you add them up, why, I like to think that I'm just leading the world in that. And then I hear something like this and I shrink up and walk out under the door. Um, I mean, what Al has done is uh, absolutely astonishing to the world. Lonnie, I got to say this. I appreciate that so much. Um, you know, and, and as I get a little older, you appreciate it even more. Um, you know, I, I've, I've read all your things too, your book and, and more. Uh, and I appreciate you. And, and I think what's interesting, I had a, uh, someone told me the other say, they said, that guy is a great horseman. And I said, well, you know, you can call him a great horseman if you want, but really the, a horseman, a great horseman, that term is only for a few. And it's, it's for guys that have accomplished something, but and have done it the right way and have passed it on to others. And, and, you know, I, I think you fit all those, that criteria as good as any man alive. Um, and I just appreciate what you've done and I'm not sitting here, you know, this isn't a, I'm patting your back and you're patting mine. This is how I truly feel. I, 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 I'm so honored to be with you today and um, be able to talk with you straight up like this is great. Well, it's, it goes both ways, and, and I'm not stroking anybody either. Uh, you are the man for me. And um, I, recently I watched the uh, uh, Working Cow Horse um, uh, Derby, and uh, Debbie knows because I dictated her something uh, after that derby, Al, that um, the Western Division has changed in my lifetime more than it changed for 6,000 years before me. And um, I watched the Derby, and who was it I watched? Todd it? Bergen, I think you're going to mention. Todd Bergen, yeah. I'm going to tell you about. Uh, I don't know if you've heard this, Al, but uh, I had to dictate something to Debbie after I saw this because Todd Bergen came on Pat's computer up there. I don't know how to turn it on, but she showed it to me. And um, he was going to work, and I, I watched it. And he, he runs his horse down through the arena uh, a really goodly pace. Um, and he sits down and leaves his reins down and the horse stops like you would cherish, you know. And uh, after he settles into his stop, he just lets him stand there for a bit. Now, in my time, Al, when, when I was first showing rain cow horses, if you stood there for 20 or 30 seconds, they'd throw you out of the thing. You'd mark a 16... <laughs> And you'd be gone, but he he let his horse he let his horse settle, Al, and then he realized that his hat had come ajar uh, on the stop, so he just reaches up and plants his hat back on his head, 
And uh, I'm amazed. I sit there with my mouth open. And then he picks up one rain, and I mean he gives him three and a half in a blur. And now he's looking back up the arena, and before he leaves station, he realizes that the spin caused his hat to come ajar again. <laughs> so he just reaches up there and settles his hat back down on his head, goes down through the arena, 9-0, and hits the other end and gives him as good an end as he did on the first end. And I thought, well, now are they going to throw him out or are they going to mark him high? And then I'm learning later when I asked Pat what happened to the rest of the whole thing, that he wins everything. Yeah. And Al Dunning, I'm here to tell you that you and I have lived through a time when more changes were made riding Western horses than happened before our time since way back to Genghis Khan or somebody. <laughs> I'm not kidding you, Al. No, it's, I know. I know. It's an amazing what? thing what's, what's happened. And, um, uh, and yet we still have people in our midst that think we ought to go another way and, and, and get a little bit harsh with them. And, and they'll even go on social media and tell people where to hit them and when to hit them and all sorts of things like that. It's, it's pretty crazy the time we're living through, but I admire what you've done. Uh, it's it's just a pleasure to watch everything that you put out on television and 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 on the computer and all that stuff. I, I'm just amazed. Well, you know, I, you pick such a great guy to get to watch. Um, I was uh, fortunate to be able to ride with Todd some when he lived in Arizona um, when he was part of Equine Enterprise there with John Slack. And, uh, and they, uh, the, the two of them were just really, really unbelievable young talents. Um, and Todd has continued to be, you know, I, I, I think his horsemanship, the way he sits on a horse is terrific. The one thing your comment, I got to tell you, he probably needs a new hat, Yeah, <laughs> you know, because a good cowboy ought to have a hat that stays on his daggum head. Other than that, he is an outstanding horseman. And, and, you know, I use him as an example of a guy that did horsemanship as a young rider um, and and then carried that horsemanship over to, you know, having. Do you remember back when, when the American Horse Show Association had the stock seat metal class was such a big deal? And, you know, it was seat, hands, and um, uh, I can't remember what the other one was, but it, there were three things. Um, but, it, you know, it developed a posture and a rider and good hands and how you sit a horse and the kind of balance you have and the timing you have. And, and I, I think when you see somebody like him and then you see some of these other guys and you go, gosh, you know, it's really too bad. They missed, you know, riding horsemanship and learning the basics. Yeah. I was a part of that, uh, metal class thing with the AHSA and even before that with horse mastership, which, ended up at um, Madison Square Garden in New York, and, and that one you had to take written examinations for too, but that goes back before your time. And um, they stopped it because the kids were taking too much time out of school. But you're absolutely right that um, times have been such that we moved away from 
the the real basics of riding and uh and yet you know i took a kid off the top of a mountain uh when he was 38 years old and uh he could ride a centerfire saddle and a cantle up to his shoulder blades and uh, if you had a cow to bring home he <laughs> he he'd get her home all right but it wasn't pretty you know and uh so i started showing him the the basics of of the show ring and uh, it turned out uh to be ron rawls and uh he's he's gone on and done a fair bit for himself and uh well, you you You've helped so many, Ron and Philip and, and the whole crew over there. And, and you can see that, you know, obviously, uh, the heritage of great horsemanship, you know, you've passed on makes, makes a huge difference in these men, but it, it's really, it's not only, uh, you know, how they ride, but as you know, it's how you think. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You, you brought another dimension to that. And, uh, I've, I've used you quite often in that business of thinking things through and mm -hmm. s seeing something uh, innovative in in a, in a procedure that we do um my time goes back to when uh, the best horse i ever knew uh, was with a guy that tied his head to his tail every monday morning and beat his neck down with a pipe full uh, of lead yeah and uh yeah. and so you know that that goes right back into the 60s which is supposed to be modern times, but, um, doesn't sound like it, does it? No. Yeah, yeah. You know, I couldn't, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask this of both of you sitting here together, because there's a lot of people now, um, getting into the horse business and they're pretty attracted to this Western reigning, Western cow work, uh, discipline sport. Uh, a lot of people now are, are doing this for pleasure, hobby, and, not so much to make a living at it. How would you two, maybe I'll just take you out first, but how would you tell somebody, maybe she's 50 plus or so, um, how, how should she start out getting into this business? If she's a green rider, let's say, and um, she's, she's pretty excited about it. What would you do with her first? Well, you know, I mean, this is something that I do. Uh, uh, we see more riders in that age group that you talked about that are coming into this that can, you know, love it, afford it, always wanted to step up, always wanted to compete. And now they're being able to, uh, um, you know, live their dream. Um, you know, the first thing I tell them is that you know, no matter where you're at, you got to find a good coach and you got to find the right coach that that cares about you and cares about your horse um, and will take the time to develop you um, and teach you the finer points, not just, you know, throw you into the competition um, and, and you feel uncomfortable, uh, but develop you in stages like you would a child through uh, pre-kindergarten, kindergarten, first grade, second grade, and on up. Um, and, and I think that's the key to learning and really loving what you do by, you know, taking your time and absorbing the, the, you know, knowledge that great horsemen have. I, I have to go back just a little bit because I got to say, Monty was talking about, um, you know, the difference in today. Well, you know, part of the difference is that back when Monty was a young guy and learning, really very few people ever wanted to help one another, you know, and share 
their uh, tricks of the trade or their tools in their toolbox, let's say. But right. today, but today, you know, you, you can you can there there are a plethora of wonderful horsemen that are willing to share and teach and share it on television and video and in their books. And if you come to the ranch and do clinics and, and, you know, Monty, we didn't have that when we were kids. We sure didn't. And if you had a polygraph on me, um, the explanations that you've just given are absolutely what I was thinking about the good coach and the, and the responsible person who cares about you, cares about your horse. If you had a polygraph on me, I swear that's exactly what I was thinking about, <laughs> too. And um, uh, you know and I know that uh, when we were kids, nobody wanted to tell you anything. You had to muck out a lot of stalls to yeah. get any secrets yeah. at all. And, um, and uh, you know, we, we, we look back on it. You can you can disagree or you can agree with the Dorrance brothers in one way or another, but they started bringing horsemanship out of the woodwork and, and uh, letting people know what they thought. And then Ray Hunt followed along and people like that, that, um, you know, Ray Hunt was still the day he died, he was prepared to rope one and drag him around round pen. But, uh, and you can, you can say, I disagree with that. But on the other hand, you know, he brought horsemanship another step in the right direction. And, uh, he, he helped a lot of young people, uh, and, uh, I traveled up and down the road with him. Uh, so I, I knew him like the back of my hand and I didn't have to agree with everything that he did, but I, I certainly give them credit for bringing horsemanship to the forefront. Well, nobody has to agree with everybody's techniques. Uh, that's, that's a, a unique thing in our business because, you know, I, I teach that, uh, training a horse is on uh, my yardstick theory, meaning that somewhere in, in that yardstick between the guy that says you should never ride a horse or capture that horse from the wild to the guy that's really rough on the other end of the yardstick, somewhere in the middle there around 18 inches is really how you train a horse. It's, it's, there is some there is some reprimand, obviously. Uh, we put a bridle and a saddle and we pull them and we, you know, have techniques that we use. So there's some reprimand involved, but there's so much reward and so much care that has to be put into it to develop the confidence to make a great individual. And, and that's, that's my yardstick theory is saying that, you know, you, you can't go too far one way and you can't go too far the other way. And the great trainers have figured that out, that there's a, that, there's a happy medium to everything you do and that it, it you know if you don't love it first of all you ought to get out of the riding the horse thing and, and that's why when debbie came up with that idea of that woman that loves the idea of riding again and showing again that really builds a fire in me a lot of people take a person like that and they think oh you know here's a person i can i can bill a lot to i can make her spend a lot of money on this horse blah 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 but really, when, when it, the right kind of trainer, the right kind of teacher looks at that person and goes, gosh, here's a raw piece of clay that I can mold and make into something and ha make her so happy. And, and when, you, when you have that theory in your, in your heart, I, I think you're a, a whole lot better person and a whole lot better horse trainer, too. Oh, that's so well said. And I, I couldn't agree more. You know, I was married to Pat 
now now it's been 60 years oh that's I, wonderful well she you you're she's a lucky woman but you're a luckier man you know yeah that's true that's yeah. true but yeah. um you know she showed julia's doll in the pleasure to third in the nation and and went along on a pleasure horse and then put her saddle down and started sculpting and and took 40 years off out of the show ring and then she starts saddling up again and going in this rain cow horse thing for non-pros um and last year ended up the high point of the year in this uh, central california area and uh the, the one thing that I learned from it is the husband doesn't coach her. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> leave her alone. <laughs> Find a good coach that respects you and really uh, leaves you alone and likes what you're doing. Uh, not one that's a, a bit hard on them because, uh, but they, they really form the basis for our industry. If these young people that are so talented would stop and think about it. Um, they, they build our industry for us and they're the ones we're working for. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I always say this is interesting because I always say I'm not the right coach for everybody. I'm really not. I mean, I'm a very, com I'm a very competitive coach. I, uh, I, I demand that they, you know, do it right and that they take their time and that they listen and that they focus and that, you know, and and I'm not going to say it's good if it's not good. That to me, there's no gray areas in this. That's either black or white. And I kid with my riders, and I say it's either good or it's horrible. There's no in between. So you know, <laughs> yeah. and and they and I think they get a kick out of it. I but I really I really feel that way. There's a right way and a wrong way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're absolutely right. Um, and and the the two of us have every right to sit down. And reminisce like this because we've we have been through it um, right through this time of real sincere change. Uh, recently, there's a list of people that it's nice to have, and um, I was thrown off that list uh, recently by a, a guy that's in the position of, of putting the list together. And I called him and said, "How did I suddenly get off this list after I've been retired for 50 years?" and uh, and I got off the list and he said, well, I decided that you don't respect tradition. Huh. And, uh, you know, you and I both have a lot of students. And the one thing we have is respect for tradition without saying that we just have to stay the same, uh, you know, for the rest of our lives. We can innovate. We can make changes. We can move up the ladder mm -hmm. uh, while we still respect tradition and i think you respect tradition you you know the whole system of of what we do on a western horse is filled with tradition and we respect that but it doesn't mean we have to do it just like old henry did or <laughs> whatever um well I, I i respect so many people you know and i i i don't have to agree with them but i i i can respect them for working so hard i i was just talking i did an interview with uh bobby ingersoll the other day for the article i write for the performance horse aqha performance horse journal and uh we were talking about uh the past and we were talking about johnny brazil matter of fact and and you know here's a guy that is well on an age and he has a hoist that he has that he ride, puts his horse under to lower the saddle down on and so he can actually keep riding and and boy you know 
I just you you think of that and you think, God, this guy loves this so much that even and and at his age, you know, I, I don't know exactly. You probably know more how, what age Johnny is, but he's eighty five somewhere right up in there. <laughs> I and, think he's closer to ninety. He might be, but he still yeah. rides, you know, and ha- yeah. but he, he had, he had to make a way to ride a horse in, in that special. So yeah, I have a deep respect for many, many horsemen. I, I don't have to agree with everything, but I have a deep respect for anybody that cares that much, that loves it and knows how much the Western lifestyle does for the inside of a man yes. or a woman. Yeah. He's a real hero for me. And I traveled up and down the road with him a lot and he he's a gentleman through and through and 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 a real hero and a and a very strong bellwether to our industry as a stepping stone to where we were and where we came from i admire him so much yeah, yeah absolutely you guys are amazing. I, I, you know, I, I got to get you back to fishing, Al. And and Monty's in the middle of. Um, <laughs> believe it or not, he's teaching a course called Gentling Wild Horses, and and they are literally BLM Mustangs off the Nevada, wow. or, sorry, New Mexico, um, adoptions. So I'll get you back to. But I, I want to say that um, both of you represent. Well, first of all, health. You represent an amazing amount of health. Uh, not not that you're, um, you know gone yet you you guys have a lot left to give but you represent obviously horse trainers must live a long time because we're talking about a lot of people who are still in the saddle which is awesome and i just appreciate i'll speak for all those women over 50 out there that um, are appreciating the fact that you are so open that you've gifted us with so much of your um your experiences and your love of horses so thank you both for being here on horsemanship radio today well, it's thank an honor. You. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you, Al, for sharing your time with me. And um, I want you to leave this with the knowledge that I appreciate you and what you've done down to the ground. Well, thank you. God bless you both. And, and I'd, I'd love to be on any time. Thank okay. you, Al. We'll have you back. Thanks very much. Okay. Goodbye now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Whisper the language of the herd. Listen, you don't have to say It's time for Jamie Jennings to fetch an email from Monty Roberts' inbox and share a morsel of Monty's wisdom in a little segment we like to call Ask Monty. Leave this world a better place than mine. The magic in the language of the Dear Monty, why does my horse refuse a jump? Monty's answer. Probably you have overmatched him at some point. Get the fences lower, let him have fun, and rebuild his confidence. Elevate the fences gradually, attempting to discover his maximum capability. Horses don't simply refuse a jump for no reason. If I ask you if he has ever refused a Cavaletti, I believe your response would be no. If that's the case, then a simple answer is that the fence was too high. Obviously, that simple answer may not be the whole story. It could be that the fence was scary and he had never seen it before. It's possible that the ground was too slippery or the going was too deep. There are many reasons why a horse may refuse a jump. With that in mind, however, one should realize that horses are generous animals and willing workers. If the environment is set up properly, they love to jump. It is a natural activity with them. 
My statement that the horse was probably overmatched is a well-founded general explanation for a horse stopping at a fence. To qualify ourselves as good horse people, we should take a hard look at all the factors involved, come to a conclusion, and act in the best interest of the horse to solve his problem. Lowering the fence will be one of the answers in a high percentage of cases involving refusal. When we are acting responsibly with our horse, we will work to set up a scenario in which he feels good about successfully jumping a fence and then reward him appropriately. One of the most effective rewards I have used is to have the fence high enough for the horse to feel achievement in jumping it, while still low enough for him to accept. If the rider dismounts as soon as the horse has negotiated the fence, leads him around, and allows him to feel pleased with himself in having accomplished his feat, that horse will be a more willing partner. If you are clever about this, you can arrange your training program so that the schooling session for any given day is conducted over fences that are educational but not overly taxing. And once you have accomplished this, then you can ask the horse to tackle a fence that is a bit more of a challenge, ensuring that he approaches it going in his favorite direction, and then you can accomplish the jump, dismount, and finish the day's session on a positive note. You can play with this scenario until you reach what is generally fairly obvious as the horse's physical limit. Through this method, you can optimize the performance of your horse. However, a good horse person will observe the horse's responses carefully and be very careful about increasing the demand. For more of these insights into good horsemanship, go to www.montyroberts.com and click on the orange banner that says Get Free Horse Tips. Hi. I'm Monty Roberts, and I'm dedicated to training horses without pain. You can learn to do it, too, on my Equus Online University. Western, English, the beginner, or the advanced rider, it doesn't matter. You can connect with other students online, too, on our forum. And there's a new lesson every week. It's a lifetime of learning for you on my Equus Online University at MontyRoberts.com. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? Where in the world is Monty Roberts? Monty is looking forward to meeting some new friends, two-legged and four-legged, in September. September 9th, we have a Horse Sense for Leaders coming up. And then right on that weekend, we have a uh, Night of Inspiration, September 10th. September 24 and 25, we have a Riding with Respect. And then we go off to England, and Monty will be there October 15th, October 21, October 26, October 29, and then wraps into November 3 and November 5. He will be at the Living Legend Tour and be at Your Horse Live. Very exciting. Cool. He's going to be over in the UK again. There he goes. And you can see all of this and more at MontyRoberts.com, or you can go old school. Give them a call over there at Flag is Up Farms. The phone number is 805-688-6288. And to find out today details about today's show and all the rest of the podcasts, you can go to HorsemanshipRadio.com where we'll have links, photos, and more information about today's guests. And we love to hear from you folks. We love to hear from our listeners because that helps us make the show better. Follow us on Facebook. Just search for Monty Roberts. Or you can follow Monty on Twitter. That's right. He tweets. Does, mm-hmm. does Monty tweet himself or does he get you to tweet? 
he know he tells us what to tweet or he sets it up so that we can schedule a tweet. So he he's very involved. He, he does he so does he have a smartphone? No, that's why we have to do it. <laughs> I want him to get a smartphone. <laughs> You know, that you might not want to go down that road. He'll be tweeting continuously 24-7. You'll have to take Could his be. phone away. <laughs> but if you want to follow Monty on, on Twitter, it's Monty underscore Roberts. And don't forget to go get the app for your iPhone or Android. You, you can have all of your favorite Horse Radio Network shows with you wherever you go. Just go to your app store and search Horse Radio Network. It's a free app and easy to download. It is. It's what I use. And many thanks to our sponsors, IFA.com, Omega Fields, and Equus Online University. Be sure to visit all the other great shows, too, on Horse Radio Network at www.horseradionetwork.com. Until next time, have many happy horse hours. 